Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love shows that show you the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if you're like that or if it's just me, if it's just a strange part of who I am, but I love watching something behind the scenes. So for example, uh, Survivor right now is back on. I know some of you are diehard Survivor fans. You love it, you record it, you watch it. Okay, maybe not. Some of you are like, are Survivor still a thing? Well, my wife and I still watch Survivor. It is a great example of culture and society and, and how, you know, they've actually got a pastor on this year, which is fascinating, who lies and cheats and all that, which is fun. Um, <laughs> she's representing well, I think. Um, but it's interesting behind the scenes, right? So sometimes in Survivor, they'll, they'll uh, show a picture or they'll show a clip of the team behind the scenes, like the cameras, the microphones, and so on and so forth. And it, you know, they'll be you know, doing a Survivor thing, and there it is. It's kind of this cool. Uh, a few uh, months ago, my wife and I, we watched the, this show that does this behind the scenes of movies. Uh, I believe it's on Netflix. And uh, we watched the behind the scenes of Forrest Gump. Do you remember that movie, Forrest Gump? It was out many, many years ago. I was amazed at some of the things that were going on behind the scenes in Forrest Gump. It took them like 10 years to get that movie to production. And in the production, in the process of the production, it was interesting because what ends up happening is, is the, uh, the budget kept getting cut and they were pulling money out, pulling money out, and they were restricting what they were able to do. And so Tom Hanks and the producer started putting their own money in to make it happen. I'm sure they're very thankful and very rich as a result of that right now because of that move. What was so cool about the behind the scenes, do you remember how Forrest Gump used to speak, how he would talk? Uh, I would like to try to do that for you, but I'm not going to because I'm okay with laughing at myself. I just don't want you laughing at me trying to try to imitate Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks didn't know how he was going to create uh, an accent for Forrest, but when the young Forrest came in for the audition, this little boy spoke like this, and so Tom Hanks heard this and thought, that's how I'm going to speak, which I thought was so fascinating. We look at something like this, we look at Survivor, we look at movies, or we look at shows, or whatever it might be, and we realize that there's something else that goes on behind the scenes that makes that what it really is. And we get thrilled about that, we have fun with that, we kind of go, that's really interesting, that's fascinating. I mean, we look at our lives and we realize that we do that with many other things as well. We look at something from a surface level and we just accept it for what it is or, or we look at a post on social media or we look at our own personal experiences or we hear the stories of someone else and we just kind of go, okay, maybe that's it. But yet we understand in our, you know, in our psyche that there is something else that is going on behind the scenes, something that actually paints a better picture of what that experience might be. I thought about that as it relates to the Christian faith. We carry a lot of assumptions about the Christian faith. We carry a lot of ideas in our heads as a result of what is portrayed maybe in media or what we see in culture or what we have in our own personal experiences. It will define how we see the Christian faith. And some of it is legit. I'm not trying to be judgmental in any realm of this. There is the reality of that we are shaped, we are formed with our ideas about the Christian faith by the world around us. 
There are times even when we are shaped by our upbringing as it relates to our religious experience, not just our experience in generalized experiences with people within the context of maybe a church or two, but literally within the context of our upbringing through our religious habits, behaviors, and rituals. We define much of our Christian faith through this lens, through the rules, through the restrictions. I actually was talking with someone this week, uh, and I'm going to talk about it maybe later on if it comes back up in the conversation. I was talking with someone this week, a spontaneous interaction with someone who defined their understanding of God and the Christian faith as a result of their mainstream Christian upbringing or their religious upbringing. It was quite something to hear her talk about it. I came across this fascinating statistic this week, and you can take a statistic for whatever it's worth. We all question it nowadays. But the statistic was this, 78% of Canadians believe that religion is less important in today's culture. 78% of Christians believe that religion is less important. Now, in some ways, I would say I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because so oftentimes those images, those ideas, those perspectives do need to be stripped away so that we can truly see a bigger picture and understand a greater depth of what the Christian faith is about. See, oftentimes we focus just simply on the outward patterns and behaviors and miss the true intent of Jesus. So our Christianity Exposed series, we started last week. And what we're doing is, is we are pulling back the curtains and looking behind the scenes. What we're doing is we're looking through the lens of the message of Jesus through a book in the New Testament called Mark. And in this book, what we are exposing ourselves to and realizing what is happening is that Jesus' life and what the recordings of this guy named John Mark through the influence of this other guy named Peter is that we are seeing some things emerge to the surface that will help us get clarity. Whether you are a person who is new to faith, whether you are new to church and maybe you're questioning whether even God exists and who is this Jesus person or whether you are a person who is been a follower of Jesus for many years, we're hoping that something will ignite inside of you to begin to see something beautiful emerge. What we understand from the gospel of Mark is that there are three things that are going to come to the surface over the course of this series. One is the kingdom of God. We looked at that last week, that Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, same thing. What is that look, what does that look like? And how does God's rule and reign fulfill itself in our world? The authority of Jesus is the second thing that we begin to see emerging out of this, uh, out of this, out of this series. We begin to realize that Jesus was more than just a great storyteller. He was more than just a great teacher. He was actually God in the flesh here in our existence, where in our current reality. But then we also are discovering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does it actually mean to live out a walk with Jesus that is fulfilled and vibrant and alive? That's what we are discovering as we walk through this series. And today, what I want to do is, I want to jump into week two of chapter two of the Gospel of Mark. And what I'm going to do for us today is look at the lens of Jesus' authority as he interacts with this man who's stuck on a mat, stuck on his bed, and then also how he speaks to the religious leaders of the day. Now, before I jump into chapter two, I gotta talk more fully about chapter one. Because we need to understand what is going on in chapter one to lead us to chapter two because there's something dynamic that happens for us. And I'm gonna have our host, Amy, come and read it in just a moment, Mark chapter two. But in chapter one, what we see is Jesus is 
becoming more popular through his teachings, through his healings, and through his interactions. And we see that as he interacts with people of ordinary uh, status and culture and those who are on the fringe of culture. We see it as Jesus interacts with a demonized person. He casts out this demon. We see it as he deals with someone who has uh, got leprosy and Jesus heals him. We even see, see this interaction with Jesus with one of his early disciples, Peter, his, his name Simon will become Peter eventually, where he heals Peter's mother-in-law, which is a miracle in itself that Peter allowed it to happen. I mean, just think, okay, okay. I am only checking to see if you're still with me because I'm, I'm concerned. We also see in chapter one, <laughs> all, all you guys that are like, preach it, Ron, preach it. Um, if my mother-in-law's watching, oh shoot, you know what? My mother-in-law watches. Um, I love you. You're a great woman. It just, it just dawned on me today that she watches. It's dawned on me right now, I mean, she watches. Christmas is going to be different this year. <laughs> we also see how Jesus, how Jesus gets followers. You know, he gets his four early disciples, Simon, who he just referenced, Simon, who become Peter, and we also see Andrew, James, and John, these two sets of brothers. We see this beautiful thing emerging. Jesus is gaining momentum. Jesus is gaining popularity. He's becoming famous. People are talking about him around meals and they're talking about him over campfires. Jesus is just, his popularity is rising. If this happened for us today, it'd be the same deal. Like if, if someone famous comes into your, onto your street or into your neighborhood or into the city or into your town or whatever it might be, we would pay attention, likely, right? We would be like, oh, like the, there's that American you know, or there's that Canadian gold medalist who we're so thankful. You know, we go and see, we get a selfie. Actually, this, this, uh, this past summer, my wife and I were on the patio uh, at Fire Rock Golf course and there was a, a pretty famous guy in the music industry sitting at a table near to us and my wife follows this guy on Instagram and uh, I said I think that's so and so and she says yeah you're right it is and we're looking up and make sure and double checking and sure enough it was and I said go over and talk to him she's like no I'm like go over and talk to him he's like no so I manned up and I went over and talked to her talked to this guy and he came over and he and he talked to her it was really quite, quite amazing this is kind of the vibe that is happening in this moment because we make the shift into chapter two and we see something beautiful begin to happen with the crowd dynamic in Jesus and we're going to learn about his authority and his and how he deals with this moment I'm gonna have Amy come and she's going to read Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 for us and uh, just listen to the power of this moment And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing with him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, 
rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. All right, thank you. Such a great moment. And maybe you've uh, heard this moment before, or maybe this is the first time you've actually heard or this moment or had it read for you. There's a few things that are going to go on for us in this, in this conversation. We're going to break it down into two sections, the two interactions that Jesus has. And my hope is, is that we'll be able to bring it together by the end of the conversation. What is going on in this moment? There's a lot of controversy around the beginning of this section, to be honest with you. As you begin to dig in a little bit deeper, there's a lot of people that try to prove that you cannot trust the Bible as a result of the beginning of this section, which you may not be aware of, because it refers to Jesus being home. And there's this controversy around this moment around whether or not uh, Jesus' home was in Capernaum or was it Nazareth. And there's this back and forth dynamic that happens for a lot of people. But the reality is, is that, and we can break that down and kind of break through some of the contradiction of that and realize that someone's life can change. Like we, my wife and I lived in, in Fergus in 96 and we moved to London in 96. And so there's a dynamic of our home shifting. But we must also see that this, if it's not Jesus' home, because there might be some dynamics of understanding that, well, did Jesus have a home? Did he own a place? Maybe not. Some agree that he did, some didn't. But some also believe that this might have been Peter's home, that actually Simon Peter's home was the place in which this was taking place. Because when you look at the writing of this, was Mark was the author of this particular book. You also know that we know that Peter was influencing Mark as he was writing, so it could have referred to Peter's home. Why is this important, and why would this be a big deal? Some of you are like, well, who cares? But the truth is, it comes out of the roof incident. So when you think about the roof incident, which can become, a very, e- can become very distracting to the actual story, is that we see that these four guys go up on the roof, and they open it up, and they lower this man down in front of Jesus. Now, when you think about it being Peter's house, that makes a lot of sense. When you actually look at it, some believe that the four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were the four that actually lowered this guy down in front, which means that there wasn't just some, you know, uh, random four guys that were rebels that thought they'd cut the roof open and drop their buddy down in front of Jesus. There was some familiarity with the place. Also with that, there would be the familiarity of how to open up the roof. Some of us would think, oh my goodness, did they get up there with a jackhammer and some hat and you know, some you know, shovels and some picks and pull the roof apart? No, it is likely that the roof was retractable in a way we were able to pull things aside to lower down. See, here's the thing that is critical to the story, and it's interesting that Mark adds this in for us. We must understand that the roof incident actually is a result of the crowds being in the way of Jesus, in the way of this guy seeing Jesus. The crowd was in the way. They were unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd. This is not the point of the conversation today, but we have to make a side note, kind of like a bubble over here for us. When we think about what was going on in this moment, when we realize the crowd was in the way, we can actually see the crowd as us sometimes. There are sometimes, out of our selfishness, we too can get in the way of others seeing Jesus. Like nobody, nobody in the crowd, standing in the doorway or inside, said, oh, you know what, there's a guy coming who's who's been stuck on his mat, he's a paralytic, maybe we should get out of the way and create a space for him to get inside. No one did it. No one got out of the way. 
Now, they may have had their own personal needs and wants as well, but I think sometimes we must look at this from the lens of oftentimes we as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes out of our selfishness, we too can be in the way. And our own personal wants and desires to be near Jesus, we get in the way. I, I, um, I will sometimes have this conversation with people that are maybe new to Vital Point Church, and I've had this over the years, where someone will come to me and they'll say, Ron, uh, we need to sing more choruses on Sunday morning at Vital Point. And they're like, I just want to sing more. Can't we do more songs? Yeah, I like to sing as well. I'm not very good, but I like to sing. I like most of our songs that we sing. I like most of them. I know some of you are like, aren't you supposed to say all of them? No, most of them I like. Okay, I like all of them. But I realize what's happening in that moment out of our own selfishness, because when we look at Vital Point Church, our church is a church that is designed for people who are exploring faith, maybe for the first time are experiencing maybe online or in person. And what we do is we position ourselves in a way with that first person in mind so that when we are worshiping, they'll have a taste of what it feels like to worship and maybe watch others. We believe that it's an important piece of who we are. I know some are like, some say to me over the years, can we just sing more, longer? We just would love it. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But is that out of our own selfishness? We sometimes will do that. We become part of the crowd. Nobody thought to get out of the way for this man to see Jesus. Now, as this begins to unfold, and I know that wasn't necessarily the, the primary point of what we're trying to make in this series, or in this talk today, but what I love about this moment is that we begin to see something unfold that is so incredibly powerful as we look behind the curtains of the Christian faith. These guys open up the roof, and they let their buddy down right in front of Jesus while he's teaching, Right in this moment where maybe he's just going to drop the point and maybe it's the moment of decision. He's preaching, he's teaching, and and they go, ooh, this guy comes right down in front, like the electronic sound, right down in front. And there he is in the moment. And Jesus responds. He responds to this man on the mat. Now, here's the most fascinating thing about this. And and I want you to notice this. They don't ask Jesus to do a thing. They don't ask for a healing. In their faith, in their trust, they believe that Jesus is going to see that this man is paralyzed and he is going to restore this man's body. That he's going to physically respond to this physical, external need of this man. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gets something different. I want you to just put yourself there. Imagine you're one of the four. And you're looking down from the hole in the roof. And the guy's in front of Jesus. He's lying there. And Jesus is looking at him. And Jesus responds. Verse 5. So beautiful. Verse 5. And Jesus saw their faith, which is what? Not just the faith of the four, the faith of the guy on the mat too. Let's face it. You've got to have a lot of faith in your buddies to let, you know, down in front of Jesus, right? You've got to have a lot of faith going over that edge, going down. But all five of them had faith. And in this moment, Jesus looks at the, at, the, at the paralytic and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Son. I want you to hold on to that word for a moment. The evidence of their trust and faith in Jesus was the moment they lowered him down. But then Jesus looks at this man, looks down at him and says, son. It is a, it is a title of affection, of intimacy, 
of love. It's filled with emotion. It draws this moment into the crowd leaning in going, how could this be possible? Because we recognize that this man is religiously exempt from anything about God. He's been stuck on his mat. He's not allowed to family gatherings. He's, uh, he's cast out from society and public. He's relying only upon those who would throw uh, money or food onto his mat. He's dependent upon others. But in this moment, Jesus speaks a word of compassion and restores by using the word son. He's defining who he is in the public eye. But then he says something most profound. Why does Jesus say, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's not what he was dropped down in for. He wants a healing. Let's face it, right? He's been stuck on his mat for a very, very long time. He doesn't want forgiveness. He wants to be healed. He wants to walk. See, I believe that what happens here in this moment, and as we peek behind the curtain, is that Jesus is actually showing us something very powerful that Jesus is concerned more for the internal part of who we are than the external. Not at the exempt of the external, but he focuses on the internal. And what Jesus reveals in this moment is that he's come to heal the inner person through forgiveness. Jesus came to deal with the heart of each and every one of us. See, forgiveness is, is necessary in order to be restored into a right relationship with God. I want you to think about your life for a minute. I know this isn't what, you don't want to do this, I get this, but think about your life right now. I want you to think about your life that is filled with shame, guilt, and insecurities. You're like, Ron, really, are we going here? Yeah, let's go here. Let's just go to that space. Let's go to the space where there's shame, there's guilt, there's insecurities. Let's go to that space where maybe you have an internal sense of your brokenness, okay? Or maybe you have a sense that you're fragmented on the inside. Now, what do we do often when we are fully aware of those things in our lives? Well, we try to cover them, right? We try to deal with them. Some use humor. Some will use humor at a party where they want to be the, the life of the party to make people laugh because there's a, a dopamine hit. And it's like, oh, that makes me feel good. So I'm just going to keep making people laugh. It covers up my shame and my guilt and my insecurity. Some of us might go to a glass of what, your favorite beverage that you start planning for mid-afternoon when your shift is done and you get home and you have one, you have two, you have three, you have four, and you just keep going. Some of us dive deep into a series on Netflix or Prime trying to escape from our inner pain and our inner world of confusion. Some of us fill up our calendars with all kinds of activities, just force ourselves into a fast-paced life so we're not left alone with our thoughts because it is dangerous when we're left alone with our thoughts. There are some of us that begin to consume and get and take as much as we can. Some of us even use pornography as a way to escape the realities of our inner brokenness, which leaves us even more broken and confused. Or there are times when we look at our internal life and we go, if I could just do better, or if I could just do good, then maybe I'll have a sense of peace in my inner world. See, the power of this moment when Jesus looks at this dude on the mat, when he looks down at him, or as he reaches over to him, is the power that reveals what Jesus came to do. That Jesus came to make us whole again. That he came to give us a sense of internal peace. It is through faith in the forgiveness of our sin. This grotesque way in which we stand before God. Like sin is not just, oh, we, made, we messed up. 
We did a few bad things. No, it is a grotesque position before God. I'll explain that more in a minute. But you might sit here and you might say, or you're watching at home and you might go, but wait a second, I'm a self-made person. I'm so put together, I've got it all happening. And maybe you do, it's great. (laughs) Can I join your club? Um, I'm super successful. I got lots of money. I got lots of power. I have lots of authority. I'm climbing the ladder at my work, whatever it might be. I'm going to define my own truth, to define my own freedom. I don't need God to forgive me. This man probably felt some of the same way. But in this moment, what we recognize with these words, son, your sins are forgiven, is the reality that there's a piece of him that he couldn't take care on his own and is that one day he would stand before God and give an account for his life. I know I'm working on the assumption that you believe that the Bible is an authority on truth and I I know that's dangerous to assume, but I wanna read a verse for you written by the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and man is that word for both men and women, everyone, and after that comes judgment. Judgment. See, you're like, wait, wait, hang on a second. Um, Isn't God like... uh, like the like a warm fuzzy bunny let's just let me in you know i get to the pearly gates it's gonna be like oh here's your easter egg bunny you're you're in or or no wait isn't god like like a like a grandfatherly figure with a big beard sitting on his throne just tapping me on the head saying it's gonna be okay oh no wait isn't isn't doesn't love win doesn't doesn't love win like at the end we just all kind of get in See, the reality is and the truth is that is emerging for us is this truth that we will all stand before a holy, just God. Yes, God is loving. God is compassionate. Yes, God is merciful. Absolutely. But God is also almighty, holy, and just. And the only way that we can stand in his presence fully aware and fully alive is through faith in Jesus and the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. This is why Jesus looks into this guy's eyes and speaks into the depth of who he is because he's revealing a powerful reality of the Christian faith that we can be made right with God by faith and forgiveness of what Jesus offers to us. Look at these verses in uh, Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through 10. In him, we have redemption through his blood. That's talking about Jesus and his death and the shedding of his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according, this is so amazing, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose which the set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth when Jesus steps into this moment he is giving us a picture of the power of what he is about to do this is a signpost pointing us to something that Jesus would ultimately do with his life he would ultimately go to a cross he would ultimately give his life be buried rise again three days later in order for us to be forgiven to create the forgiveness possibility and it's by faith that we can be restored Jesus cares for the inner part of who we are that inner part that we so desperately want to see transformed and changed comes through forgiveness, forgiveness before God. It's the dynamic of the Christian faith that is so incredibly profound and so incredibly beautiful is that we do not need to depend upon our own religious rituals and activities to be made with God because they will always fall short because of our sin. We will never be able to cover. We'll never be able to do better. 
We will never be able to on our own. And Jesus, in this moment, looks at this guy and speaks to the depth of who he is. Now, what is so amazing is that we have the crowd, right? We've already identified the crowd, and we've talked a little bit about the crowd. But in the crowd is also who? Religious leaders. I mean, they're curious. I mean, Jesus is happening, right? And so they, they want in. They want to know what is going on. And ultimately, you track the story, you'll end, eventually see that the religious leaders are the one that orchestrate his death. But it, it's interesting that they're in the crowd. And I find it most fascinating that Jesus even speaks to them, that he addresses them. Mark chapter two, verse six. Look at this. He says, uh, uh, two verse six. Now the scribes are sitting there and they questioned in their hearts, okay? They've not verbalized it. They've not said it out loud. They're like just in their hearts, they're pondering, hmm, what's Jesus doing here? This is blasphemy. How, how could they do, how could Jesus do this? Only God can forgive. What is going on here? And I love this moment because Jesus actually looks at them and he speaks to them. <laughs> the Holy Spirit reveals to Jesus what they're thinking and he speaks to them and he addresses it because they themselves, they're looking at this moment through the lens of their human eyes, right? Their, their religious understanding of God, their rituals, their patterns, their rhythms. This is blasphemy against the disrespecting the law that they had been upholding in their religious ceremonies for forgiveness. How could Jesus do this? And in this moment, Jesus addresses it to, with them. He speaks to them. And I wonder if he spoke with a sense of gentleness and compassion for them. Because in verse nine, he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? He's now addressing their thinking. What is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to rise, take up your bed and walk? What's easier? I'm glad I wasn't in the crowd because I wouldn't have a clue how to answer that. Maybe you don't either. What would be easier? And Jesus doesn't even give them a chance to answer. <laughs> Next beat. This is why Mark is such a fast-moving book. He says this, but you may know, I did all this so that you may know, that you may know, the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite reference to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The religious leaders, they had very clearly defined who's in and who's out. And this guy was on the out. Their religious understanding was formed by ritual and patterns that dictated how to treat people who were of this stature in this state. And Jesus speaks to him and to them, but gives clarity to what he came to do. He came, clear, he came to show them that there is a new way in which God is now going to interact with people. It is through the person of Jesus Christ. It is not religious behaviors and patterns to define their relationship with God. It is now going to be the, through the transforming work of a relationship with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in a person's life that brings about the fruit and the evidence of the faith that we so long for in our lives. The cover up our sin, our shame, our guilt will come through this way. And they're like dumbfounded by this moment. They cannot believe what they're hearing. See, I believe there's something that has been happening over the last number of months as we have navigated the complexity of these uncertain times is that there are 
there has been a season where many people have had their religious rituals and routines stripped away to reveal where a person stands before God. I wanna say this as clear as possible. When we lost our ability for a season to meet in person and only online, the church never closed, it was always open, just so we're clear. When we were meeting just online, some people realized, and I have conversations with lots of people, realized that they were dependent, their faith was dependent upon the hour per week and not on the routine of the intimacy of the walk with Jesus and the other days of the week. And so in some ways, what was happening is rituals and behaviors and patterns were being stripped away to reveal what was really going on. There's a lot of work and study around this where people are realizing that people have made an idol out of Sunday morning and that the idol is worshiped more about the Sunday morning than it is about the understanding of the relationship. Now, trust me, I love Sunday morning and we're gonna continue doing Sunday mornings in person online. Don't think I'm saying we're not gonna do that, okay? So we're all on the same page. Got it? Okay, thank you. But what's being stripped away is what, is what are we trusting in? What are we relying in? I love the fact that uh, this guy, like, can you imagine? Just, just imagine for me, with me for a moment. Guy gets lowered down. And Jesus speaks to him. And then he's speaking to the scribes. And then he speaks to the guy again. <laughs> Pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your bed and walk. I don't know, Jesus. I think I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to enjoy this mat a little longer. It's all I know. I'm familiar with it. This, this, this is what I know. No. Dude jumps up immediately. I love that word. Speed and authority. Speed. He jumps up, grabs his mat, walks out. Crowd's like, <laughs> right? I don't know if that translates online or not. <laughs> we'll edit that out um, see when we look at what Jesus is doing in this moment he's revealing behind the scenes of breaking through religious rituals to see the beauty of the relationship that God wants to bring through Jesus and the forgiveness of our sin the physical healing is the outward demonstration of the inner work that Jesus is doing in this man. Now, as we begin to wrap this up, what I, what I find fascinating about this, and I, I believe this is important for us to understand, is that Jesus reveals his authority to forgive sins, which means this, is that Jesus isn't simply just a great teacher and a great storyteller. He's God in the flesh. And that when we look at this moment, we're seeing a picture of God's heart for people and God's heart for you. Matter of fact, I would go as far to say that in your shame and in your unworthiness and in your guilt and all that that you feel, God sees you, he knows you, and he's for you. And it's the power of the authority of this moment that Jesus reveals his heart for us. That in the midst of our longing to have our inner world made right, and taken care of is that Jesus says, I have come so that you can be free, that you can pick up your mat, that, I can, that Jesus says, I can look at you and I can say, son, I can say, daughter, pick up your mat and walk. 
there's a, there's a beauty to this that I believe is so important for us because we can attach ourselves to the spirit of religiosity. Is that the religiosity of religion? Spirit of, you got, you know, hopefully you know what I mean. There's another word I'm trying to grab, but it's not there. The spirit of religion is grab some of us and, and we're living with the illusion that we're right with God when really we're not. Um, this, this, the story of this woman this week, uh, it was a sp- out of the blue, spontaneous thing. It, it wasn't, it just happened. It was really quite amazing. She had talked about her religious upbringing with me and she was just willingly sharing this with me and she was talking about her religious upbringing and she, it was, and, and she defined it in a way that she thought she was doing right and, and, and good and, and that, I'm sure it was. And then, but then she was in an environment where God showed up in a real powerful way, kind of like in this man's life, and she described it as her soul began to expand. And I've never heard someone define their encounter with Jesus like this before, but her soul began to expand. And I believe in that moment, uh, and actually she used the word, I believe it was the moment I was saved. It's a, it's a Christian faith term that we use when a person gives their life to Jesus, they're, they're saved. They were once lost, now they're found. There's this word phrase, and saved. And then there's also this other phrase, born again. It was in this moment when she had transitioned from the religious perspective of understanding God to a relationship where she was set free and her soul expanded. I just thought that was so beautiful, so powerful. Maybe, maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe there's a piece of you that has lost sight or, or misunderstood what the Christian faith is about. And maybe today it's the simplicity of understanding, oh, wow, I didn't realize that Jesus came to forgive my sin to make me right with God so that I can stand whole in his presence. That one day when I stand in his presence, I'm gonna be able to stand there because Jesus is gonna go, one of mine. One of mine. Or maybe you would say one of ours. One of ours. How beautiful it would be for you today to step into this place. Like these guys. What, what opened the door to this? It was faith. The whole thing was because of faith. The whole point of it was their faith and trust that Jesus could give this guy what he needed. And he gave him something else but he also healed them physically. That is the authority that Jesus has in our lives. It is his word that he gives us to make us right with God.